So there's no post roll? Uh, no, not for this one. Okay. Oh, wait, do we mark out that behold her is in the, in the pre-roll? Okay, cool. from the Mundangerous Promontory Point in New York City. I'm your host, Shane. And I'm your host, Ishan. And welcome to episode 192 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about keeping the party on the right track in the wrong way. But first, the rogue traders break the glass in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign. And later, the Iron Horse is ready for anything, anytime, in the Character Creation Forge. I'm Lisa Chen, and I host Behold Her, a monthly podcast that shines a spotlight on women in the world of tabletop games. There are so many women to behold in this amazing hobby, and our experiences as female gamers are as diverse as we are as individuals. Through one-on-one interviews, audio essays, and panel discussions, all centered around a monthly theme, the guests on Behold Her share their unique stories as players, game masters, designers, artists, organizers, and so much more. Their words are inspiring, uplifting, and informative. Check out Behold Her Podcast wherever podcasts are found, or visit beholdherpodcast.com. So we talked about this a little bit last week, but I want to remind everybody that um, Jeff, the host of System Mastery, is still running a GoFundMe to cover some of his um, hospital bills that came up after he was um, suddenly sent to the ICU with dangerously high blood pressure. Uh, While selecting between health insurance for himself and health insurance for his newborn daughter, he picked correctly and chose his daughter. Uh, of course, that means his personal medical bills will be very high. There is a GoFundMe. And I believe that is GoFundMe slash Living Mastery. No, it's bit.ly slash Living Mastery. Uh, we have given money. Uh, please, if you have anything uh, extra that you can add, uh, you can head over there. It may have hit the goal already, but that goal is just a, a random number that was picked to sort of get it up there. Uh, if you live in the United States, you know that medical bills can be uh, exorbitant and um, ridiculous. So... I think Jeff is sort of expecting both of those. And another thing to remind you of is the Akatacon 2019 Kickstarter is uh, live right now. Uh, They are raising money for that event, um, which I have attended every year that it has run, except for the year I missed my flight and could not get to Dayton, Ohio. You were very sad about it. I was. All right. So that runs for another two weeks. So head on over there and give what you can. And if you'd like to attend a Catacon, of course, that is in Dayton, Ohio, uh, November 8th through 10th this year. All right, Shane. Speaking of missed connections, where are we in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign? So the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign is our Warhammer 40k Rogue Trader game played using Dark Heresy 2nd Edition rules by Fantasy Flight Games. And on the Deathworld Iblis Prime in the frontier city of Meridian, the Rogue Traders have set out to establish a colony in the name of the Holy Throne of Terra and profit uh how are we doing with that well uh (laughs) well a crew fleet uh has recently entered the system and you have conducted some trade negotiations with them uh though they reached an impasse uh, mostly due to you being unwilling to sacrifice a few armsmen 
mostly due to us being unwilling to sully our immortal souls with this heresy. Yes, correct. So, uh, in the process, they let slip that they might have another interested partner, uh, to which you return to the His Enduring Light to your ship and set about trying to squash any competing offers. Yeah, uh, our nerds did a bit of analysis and found out that it is probably the Watchtower, the orbital station which is uh, securing the planet and uh, allowing ships in and out of orbit, uh, that is our main competitor for the crew trade. So you immediately seek an audience with the highest ranking official that you can muster, uh, landing, of course, at a mid-level secretary, uh, the Secretary of Trade Relations. Hey, that was a stretch for us. I was very impressed. Well, you couldn't get the oversecretary, but you did get past the undersecretary. So right in the middle. Right. We Goldilocks it <laughs> and we had a meeting with the secretary. So you visit the watchtower uh, and your plan is to pump the secretary for information, uh, read his mind telepathically, have uh, Lil Magnus hack his cogitator. Now, do you remember who Lil Magnus is? Because it's been a while since we talked it's about that It's been a long, guy. long time. Lil Magnus is uh, the strange, we assume, Xenotech uh, like carbon fiber cylinder that is telepathic but not actually telepathic and isn't warpy, but I don't know, I suspect it's some sort of terrible Necron technology. Uh, who is friends with our psyker? Because Lil Magnus is basically a, I don't know, a, a child in a in the body of a, like a footstool. It's it's a young mind in the body of a yeah, like a an Amazon Echo. <laughs> yeah, and uh, the plan is to have Lil Magnus hack the cogitator, um, and then you know be able to peruse his cogitator data, and then ultimately uh, psychically erase his memory of the entire meeting so that you don't leave a trail. Right, in and out. Uh, nobody knows what's happening. If we want to leave something behind, that's fine. But all we're doing is a little bit of psychic reconnoitering. No big deal. Very simple. Yeah. And uh, as you say, everything goes according to plan uh, until it suddenly doesn't. Oh, wow. Huh. (laughs) So uh, Lord Captain Silva Lionheart herself is responsible for the psychic erasure. And as she attempts to erase the secretary's memory, she suffers a psychic phenomenon. This is the session where Susie, who's playing Silva, realizes that you always need to save a fate point in reserve every session to re-roll Psychic Phenomena. Mm-hmm. I believe uh, Angela, who's also playing Psyker, her husband, said, uh, hey, you need to hold a fate point in reserve just in case, like earlier in the session. And she said, meh, I think it'll be fine. Uh, and was it fine? <laughs> it was not fine. <laughs> So there's this concussive boom as the uh, as the raw warp just kind of flows through her mind. The windows of this office just shatter. Uh, most of its inhabitants, meaning the rogue traders and the secretary, are deafened and flung to the ground. And then the poor secretary's secretary has uh, his head explode in a cloud of gore. Poor guy. You know, he probably didn't deserve that. Uh, if we'd rolled more poorly, our meeting would have been with him. <laughs> well, he was the secretary to the secretary, not the undersecretary of oh, trade relations. I see. Yeah. Not the undersecretary to the secretary. Correct. I see. Uh, so we'll find out what happens next, next week. It's going to be good, I'm sure. All right. So this week we are talking about railroading, much like when uh, someone rolls poorly on warp phenomena and then uh, someone else's head explodes, right? Shane, right? Huh? 
I didn't do anything about that. Uh, <laughs> that <laughs> the the dice <laughs> and the tables dictated that. Oh, right. Okay. So not every time you get screwed over is it the GM's fault. Sometimes no, it is simply I, the dice. <laughs> I actually had nothing to do with that. I was totally game for your plan. All right. So what exactly is railroading? I think we hear about this a lot uh, when people are talking about RPGs. Uh, honestly, there are a ton of different definitions. If you go online or just talk to you know anyone in your group or at a, a local hobby shop, you're going to get into an argument about what it is or is not. Uh, but I think it really boils down to a removal of player agency. It means that the choices the PCs are making no longer meaningfully influence the path or the outcome of the game that you're playing. Yeah, so the origin of this comes from some of the old school adventures from the uh, you know the early days of D anD D, where you would move from one dungeon to another, um, usually in like a linear order, or they would structure plots that really only had one path to resolve. And if you uh, if you ran up against that, you either had to be forced back onto that path, or the adventure would fail. Yeah, this happens a lot, and even like adventures old school adventures that are considered really good like i'll read through something like dead gods and i have like all these great memories about like this cool planescape campaign but then you know you look at some gm notes and it's like oh if they if they go to the right they continue to the town if they go to the left they're definitely murdered and the game is over <laughs> well <laughs> <laughs> so it's tell a living them not, make sure they don't go to the left <laughs> right <laughs> so yeah, this is instances where, like, no matter what the party does, there are predetermined events, like previously determined events that are going to occur. You know, maybe that's um, the party is supposed to bodyguard uh, an important dignitary. Um, and when assassins attack, like, it doesn't matter how good their roles are or, like, what their tactics are. The enemy is going to succeed in assassinating your ward because, like, the plot requires that. Or, you know, maybe at the end of the dungeon, uh, the bad guy, is, the GM decides the bad guy is supposed to also be the the ultimate bad guy or the bad guy in the third arc as well. So they're going to escape no matter like what your preparations are or how many guards you set up. Like they just happen to slip by. So it can also be a positive though, right? Like you can railroad in the PC's favor. This is technically still railroading, but when there's, you know, one path to get from here to there and you're going to move along it, whether you like it or not, that's railroading. Yeah, it reminds me of, um, remember those levels in like original Mario where it's scrolling at a specific speed and and like you can't control it and you can't go backwards. And if you like try to go forward too quickly, it doesn't matter. And you try to go backward, you eventually sort of get, get pushed along a little bit at the end until you obviously fall off a platform and die. Right. Yeah, that's not a fun game. <laughs> so obviously railroading has a really bad reputation. It's probably one of the worst epithets that you can throw out about a game or about a GM. Um, Shane, like you said, though, like it has its uses, but for the most part, it makes the game less fun. Um, and players really just feel like they're kind of along for the ride, hence railroading. You, you don't have any control over where you're going or even really how fast you're getting there. So let's talk about ways to avoid railroading. One of the best ways to do this is to offer multiple avenues for progress for the party or the plot. So, you know, like this isn't really railroading, but like it makes sense if the Thieves Guild hideout only has one entrance into it. You know, like they that makes practical sense within the fiction of the world and it would probably be heavily guarded. Uh, but the game gets boring if the only path that is available to get into that Thieves Guild is a full frontal assault. You know, what if it turns out like the party isn't particularly combat oriented? Then why are you playing D&D? &D? 
<laughs> hey, look, you guys are playing a party that is not particularly combat oriented. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, you, you want to make sure that, that the problem is clear, but there are multiple ways to solve it, right? So maybe somebody can talk their way in through the uh, past the gate or, you know, has some connection to somebody in the Thieves Guild that can help them out. Or, you know, maybe it's something like magic. You can just teleport in or Dimension Door or, or whatever. Yeah, you get into these situations from maybe not a lack of planning, but uh, through linear planning. So I, I think sometimes, like, I've had this situation where I'm like, all right, they're going to get into the Thieves Guild. They've told me that that's the thing they're interested in doing. So I'll build an encounter where, like, there are these guards, and I'll stat out the guards, and, like, here's the doorway, and I'll draw a little map, and, you know, now this session or, like, the next combat will be them storming the front entrance of the Thieves Guild. Great. I'm all prepared. We're set. And then you get to the session and nobody wants to make a frontal assault because that's a dumb idea because you're dealing with like, you know, heavily armed guards with bows and lots of sneak attack dice. Right. So everyone starts brainstorming about like other ways to do it. And you as the GM are sitting there going, oh, crap. And, uh, you know, in the old days or when you're younger or newer to this, like I think it's a very common inclination to sort of shut down all the other options so that you slowly herd everybody into the one preconceived idea of how you're going to get through this that like I already drew a map for and I already have stats for Mm -hmm. but like that's super boring for anyone who wants to do anything other than that or who just at least least wants to feel like you chose to make the frontal assault like maybe that's what everyone ultimately decides to do right but you want to feel like that was the party's decision not like this was the only thing we could possibly do and like I guess we're just here to play a hack and slash and I had no choice in the matter so the worst possible outcome here is that you only have one way forward, and yet you can't actually get past that roadblock, right? You can't actually win that fight uh, getting your way into the Thieves' Guild. So the game just has to stop, right? Like, there's no way, there's no path to success, and you don't have any alternatives to go around. Yeah, the fault in planning here has been presenting only the one option. Uh, There's a roadblock, and the party either has to go through it, which means, like, they're either can't get through it and the game stops or they don't want to get through it and the game stops Uh, or like they go through it but they're bored and all of those are bad options so you're going to want to build in multiple options and then be open to additional ones you know i think the easiest way to do this is not necessarily to say okay they want to get into the thieves guild uh let me build in four different ways for them to do that it's easier and requires so much less prep to keep your solutions open-ended right so i think if you think about in a video game you often end up like in an underground complex and what is the goal? It is to like kill every bad guy in the complex and search all the bodies and then find the one particular item you need to like open the door to get to the next area. Right. But it it doesn't really work in an open ended RPG. So you don't want the goal or like the next task to be something as specific as get the red key card from the sentry who is in room a, you want the task to be more open-ended. So it'll be like, get through that locked door. All right, so like maybe that sentry and roommate does have the red key card, but maybe there are a lot of other sentries also in other rooms who also have a key card who can get you through that door. No, you got to go to room A and kill that sentry to get his key card. That's the only one. You're going to kill all the sentries trying to find the one sentry. But we made friends with him. His name is Ralph. He seems like a good dude. <laughs> well, now you're in a pickle. <laughs> so now you're gonna... you have to kill your friend, Ralph. 
<laughs> so yeah, I mean, if that's what the players decide that they're just going to go get the key card, maybe they do have to fight their way through the whole complex. But alternatively, you know, you're not ruling out the possibility to pick the lock or hack the lock or you know trick a guard into opening it so that you can go through and follow them. Um, you know, you can always like cut through the wall or blow up the wall or drill through, drill a hole in the ground and sneak up on the other side, you know, like all the, the typical bank heist moves are still good. Yeah. One of my favorite things in 3.5 was, um, getting an adamantine weapon as soon as possible, like in 3.5 D and D because suddenly doors didn't matter anymore and I didn't need the lockpick skill because you just, you know, you have an adamantine dagger, right? You just hack through the stone wall. Mm -hmm. It might take 20 minutes, but you're getting through it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yep <laughs> GMs never give your players adamantine daggers <laughs> they're too hard to railroad <laughs> GMs never let Ishan at your table <laughs> yes you're not wrong yeah I think a lot of railroading happens when the party isn't going to the location or doing the thing that the GM wants them to do but like the party usually wants to do the thing that the GM wants them to do usually. Right. Cause like, we're all trying to like tell a story here and you planned a thing and I want to go to that thing. Cause that's where the fun is. Uh, but that means that you usually need to point to those next steps more than once. So like, I think we've all been in a situation. If you give a party a treasure map marked with an X and it says, here is where the treasure is. They will never go there. At least, at least not right away. They will always say, great. Okay. Let's go to this eventually. Um, or they'll, you know, completely ignore it and say, well, this is obviously some sort of like trap. We're, we're never going to go there. Instead, you have to point to that location multiple times in multiple ways. You have to have other NPCs like also drop a hint about that location or say, oh, I think I remember something about like this area. Um, you may even need to have somebody like just straight up be like, here's your quest. Go to this spot marked X. And they'll be like, oh, wait, we also got a treasure map that said the same thing, huh? Yeah. Or, you know. Okay, well, I I want to go knock this this like sub objective out first. So if I go to this other alternative location, what do I find there? Something that points me to um, the X on the map. Yeah, exactly, and that works really well because now you've had the players make a decision, right? They have agency. They said, "Hey, we want to go like resolve that subplot first. They go do that, and now some the the reward. One of the rewards for their actions is, "Oh, hey, a clue." Right. And same thing, right? Like if you're seeding plot hooks in town, um, you can have multiple plot hooks that are eventually leading to a path that get you to that place, that magic location that uh, you need to, you know, discover the boss or find the, you know, missing piece of the artifact or or whatever it is. Yeah, I kind of think of this as like a um, building a pyramid, like a plot pyramid. So it's usually good to gate the information so as not to overwhelm the party. You know, you like eventually you want them to go to like these four places or like these, you know, cool set piece things that you sort of have planned for this campaign. And then eventually they get to like whatever the resolution is at the very end. And great. We have a big final battle. Okay. Um, In the original town, maybe they meet five people or like find five clues somehow that lead to three different locations. You know, several of the clues are pointing to the same place. They can go to any of those. That's their choice. You know, they have agency. And at every single one of those locations, there will be more clues that point to maybe two or three additional locations that are more difficult, more complicated to get to, or like you have to be higher level in order to like beat the monsters there. And then eventually, like 
at that second tier, you get more clues that are pointing to only one final destination uh, where like the big end battle is going to be. This still lets everyone feel like they're making the decisions about where to go at any time, right? They can go back to any of the like the level one places if they want to find more clues. They can like move on to the other level two location. Eventually, they get to the one place where like the boss's lair is. But they're also not going to like wander in there at level one and get immediately murdered. So like you don't have to do that whole railroady thing where you're like, oh, no, there's a rock slide and you are unable to get to the top of the mountain pass right now. Right. Or a thing I did where I was like, there is a peasant riot and the lightning rail is currently shut down Mm -hmm. for an indeterminate amount of time. You can't go anywhere (laughs) but here. (laughs) You are unable to leave this city. What if we walk? You are surrounded by wilderness. Right. Okay, well, how do we deal with the riot? I don't know. Just one skill check. <laughs> Once you've I, completed the other objectives. <laughs> right. It probably just takes a, a bit of time. Let me just roll some dice. Oh, interesting. Okay. What do you do in the meantime? <laughs> so another way to help with this is to make sure that you're presenting reasonable options to the players. Right. So when you're introducing a scenario or a challenge, you know, a lot of times you have some skill checks or some kind of like brainstorming as to how the players are going to approach it. Um, You can always just give them, you know, two or three possible approaches that they can evaluate for, you know, that seem immediately obvious for how to overcome this challenge. You know, so it's a locked door. You can knock it down. You can try and hack it or, um, you know, lockpick it, or you can look for another entrance, right? You could do other things too, but those are three things that seem really obvious to you when you run across this door. Yeah, this is a good way to limit the player's choices without restricting their agency because they can still do whatever they want, but you're sort of helping them along. This is this is like a more obvious um, like dropping of signposts. You as the GM are just being like, hey, here's some things you notice and like seem really obvious to you. Yeah, that happens a lot in um, in Rogue Trader, actually. Like a lot of times you guys have an objective, but you're not really sure like what are some ways to go about achieving it? And you're like, what would my character think? Like, how would how would we think? What options would we be weighing? And I'm just like, I don't know. Here's three somewhat rogue traderly options, two of which are bad, and one of them is a trap. <laughs> yeah, actually, Brian in our group does a good job of this because he's the newest guy in the group. So he has he's less steeped in a lot of the lore of the settings that we play in. So he's kind of like, uh, I don't know, like, I know about the ecclesiarchy, but, like, I don't know about the ecclesiarchy. So, like, what does my character think about this or or know about this? And, like, how does that help us here? Yeah. Um, I think we we mentioned this maybe a little bit um, recently in our episode about, like, going to the library and, and lore. Like, when you do have settings that have a ton of lore, it is helpful for the GM to just be like, uh, you know, this, this seems really weird to you as, like, a member of the Mechanicus. Like, this is a big flashing clue, actually. It should stick out to you. Yeah, or or likewise, you know, sometimes you need to be like, hey, uh, maybe you've forgotten this bit of lore, but like, if you go wield uh, demon magic, there are, you know, the dragons sitting over there that will come hunt you down and, uh, you know, fire breath you. Yeah, yeah. Like, you're <laughs> you're, that's you're adding next. a risk. I'm not saying you can't do it. I'm just saying you're adding a bit of a risk. Yeah, I think it's a cool risk. I mean, I, I think you should definitely do that, but like, just be aware. I like this too as sort of like a, maybe like a checklist arc where, you know, uh, we know that the thing we need to do is like lead an army to like overthrow a terrible dictator. Great. 
but what we need to do in the meantime is like get some allies because there's no way that we can like overthrow an entire army with like five people in it and like a familiar you know right <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay who are we going to get as allies well you could talk to the elves in the forest you could talk to the dwarves in the mountains you can go talk to the dragons and see if you can like somehow bribe them you could go like talk to some mind flayers and you know maybe feel icky about that do any one of those uh you know and, and in fact here are your options um who do you want to bring as an ally in in this war um which means that like you know, 15 sessions from now when you're actually playing out that big battle, it's really cool to be like, hey, we have the dragons because we decided that we wanted the dragons, you know? Right, yep. But but the GM didn't really need to do any additional prep work or planning because, like, those were all viable, reasonable options that were all on, that were all originally on the table. Right, and then to make that an interesting choice for the players, you just make trade-offs, right? Um. So if you go pursue the dragons, you almost certainly will not be able to get the uh, the elves on board, right? Or if you pursue the orcs, then no dwarves are, are ever going to align with your army. Right, yeah, these reasonable consequences are, are great ways to get your party to not necessarily do the thing you want them to do, but to like do a thing that moves the plot forward. Right. Another thing you want to keep in mind to assure that you're avoiding railroading is not to shut down the unexpected success. Yeah, this is sort of like the flip side of the the usual problem, which is, okay, I have to railroad because the party isn't going through the one avenue that I've I've selected. This is, oh, they, they have so many different options or options that I didn't consider. And now suddenly they're, they're doing a thing that I have absolutely no prep for. And so I, I don't want them to do that. Like resist that temptation because otherwise you're just sort of in the same position of forcing the players to make the like quote unquote right choice in order to to progress the situation. So instead, like say yes. So if they're still trying to get into this thieves guild and they don't want to do the frontal assault, maybe they've decided that they are going to use explosives, but they're going to breach the wall on the other end of the complex. Well, crap, I didn't map out the other end of the complex, did I? Um, well, but if I just turn this map around. <laughs> right. <laughs> You know what? It's probably a symmetrical complex, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> don't, don't ignore that. That's not front gate. That is a that is exploded wall. <laughs> well, see, I helped myself out and didn't label. I labeled it with letters. Right. right? <laughs> Room A, oddly shaped storehouse. Um, yeah. Say say yeah yeah. You can you can definitely try that, and then use realistic consequences. Right. Like if they don't heed the obvious warning of danger, like if. If there is the sign on the path up the mountain that says falling rocks, be extremely careful. You will probably die. And they say, I don't care. We're going to go up this anyway. Then like, then rocks actually fall, right? I mean, it may not necessarily kill them, but like rocks fall, bad things happen. Mm -hmm. If they want to use explosives to breach on the other side of uh, the Thieves Guild complex, awesome. Let them use the explosives. Uh, they're probably pretty loud, aren't they? Yeah. How long is it going to take before the thieves show up to yeah. see what that big explosion was? Yeah. Hey, this just turned into a frontal assault, didn't it? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> frontal assault from behind. <laughs> uh, but yeah, explain those consequences beforehand, right? Like, uh, don't do the gotcha like, okay, use explosives. Cool. Boom. Ha ha ha. They're all there because it was so loud. And now also the cops are coming. Like, explain. Hey. That sounds like a cool idea. You bet that'll get through this wall. It's probably pretty loud and it might be really dangerous and you're going to need to give me a check to make sure you don't blow yourselves up. Yeah, this can um, this can end up in like a, a weird sticky situation, right? Where uh, a cool idea is maybe not a great idea 
um and if you if you push too hard on the players to like well what about this or like what about if the watch shows up and what about if the people inside decide to you know like everybody scrambles or you know what if you're breaching into a room that's like highly populated or like if you start asking too many questions it feels like you're railroading them off of the idea um so you want to like kind of more level set expectations that like this isn't going to be 100% success, right? Like there will still be challenges. If you do this, there will be different challenges, right? You'll probably have a timer before the police show up because you just set off a bomb in a crowded city, but you know, you'll be in the thieves or you'll be in there. Uh, what I guess in a, in a city with police, it's probably like the mafia hideout. Like you'll be in there and they won't know what to do for a few minutes uh, until they get their feet under them. Uh, maybe you could get in, get out before anybody else notices. This is a, a good way to also like temper some of the maybe wackier or crazier ideas of, you know, that player. The one who's like, I just got teleport. Guess where I'm going? Anywhere I want. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, you're going anywhere, right? That's very true. Uh, alone. Or sure, with you guys and I, I guess we'll see how accurate your teleport is or how good your scrying information is awesome let's do that <laughs> yeah and, and uh how are you getting back <laughs> i mean you don't have to come back right it's an excellent chance you don't come back i'm cool like you'll probably be fine to just rest there for a day <laughs> right on the plane of ultimate despair <laughs> yeah <laughs> i have a teleport now but why bother Right, you're you're uh no, you have one teleport a day. Be careful. <laughs> so, I think like I said before, most of the railroading happens or like the temptation to railroad happens when you are trying to guide the party in a very specific direction. But it's much easier to get them to go where you want them to go with a series of carrots and sticks. You know, rewards and punishments. And to keep in mind that like leading the party to a place is so much easier than chasing them, chasing them away from a place, right? You want to give them a reason to go to a location or to go do a thing, not a reason to stay away from an area or to run away. Because like most people play RPGs because they want to play someone who's like brave and has agency and is doing a cool thing and is running into danger and facing impossible odds and probably overcoming them or dying heroically, right? Like... Hey, you know, the, the dragon is coming doesn't get everyone to like run away and go to the next town. It says, oh, great. Now we fight a dragon. Yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> the threat of a dragon is not great. Now I have to pack up all of my gold pieces into the sack and and quickly find a, a horse and get on the road to beat the rest of the refugees. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, what a great session. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you did it. <laughs> you made it to the next town that the dragon's going to burn down faster than the rest. <laughs> right. If you needed them to go to the next town over, give them a reason to want to kill a dragon and then put a dragon there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so any of those types of rewards are are a great you know, pseudo railroad. So if the dragon that they would like to be killing happens to be in a place, they're probably going to go to that place. Um, same thing if there's a magic item or, you know, uh, a pile of gold or some, you know, clue or tie in or objective from a character's backstory, like they're going to naturally be drawn towards that. Even if it's a trap, even if it's a bad idea, um, even if the rest of your plot happens to be there, um, despite their best efforts. 
just happens to be, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, hopefully your plot does tie in some way into these characters' backstories, so. Right. Um, your punishment should be leading them as well and not chasing them away, right? Like, they want to get to a location because they're trying to prevent something bad from happening there, or they need to, like, chase down the kidnappers to rescue someone they actually care about. It should be less about them trying to escape a bad situation. Yeah, or if they're if they are escaping a bad situation, they need to have learned something from the experience that they can now apply after they escape, right? So, if they screw up and go to jail, they need to meet somebody in jail that either gives them information that helps them or they need to learn some like context or perspective that gives them more motivation to do whatever they need to do, you know, or maybe it's just as simple as like they need to right some wrongs in the jail, <laughs> um, you know, as a as kind of a secondary thing, right? But like all of those punishments should be driving them towards that heroic plot, not kind of swatting them aside and just making it further away. Yeah, I think you sometimes run into these problems because you're a victim of your own success sometimes as a GM. Like, okay, they get to the jail and your natural inclination is to like make the jail like really cool and... um like evocative and like put in some cool NPCs and maybe they'll make some friends and like let's put in a little side quest here or there. Like that means they're going to want to stay in the jail. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Which like is great if you want a jail arc. Awesome. Um, But if they really need to be moving along or like that's the plot or like you don't want a jail arc, then maybe gloss over some of that stuff or make other interesting things happen elsewhere and not in the jail. Right. Or, you know, exchange cell phone numbers and, uh, Look them up later when you've got some downtime. Yeah, you uh, you need a flamer. I'm a flamer. Just uh, just just let me know. <laughs> okay. It's a nice banana stand you got there. I'm not really sure which setting we're talking about. Is this a <laughs> is this an Eberron thing or a 40k <laughs> thing or it's an Arrested Development thing? Oh, <laughs> the other setting that we always play in. Yes, <laughs> right. Um, and then of course, um. And the the easiest way to drive the players towards any direction that you want is to put a time limit on it, right? If something seems like it's going to be impossible after a certain amount of time, the players will move mountains in order to ensure that they accomplish it uh, just at the last minute. Yeah, and no sooner. <laughs> right. Like, you can always you can always tell exactly when a party is going to get to a location if you put a deadline on it because they will show up right before the deadline. They will never <laughs> be like, oh, this this happens in two weeks. Great, we go now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it takes three days to get there. That means I don't have to leave for another 11 days. <laughs> what do we do here? <laughs> what kind of trouble can we muck around in? Um, but you could do things like, you know, if you tie things to like a moon cycle, right? If you need a full moon in order to, or like if something will occur on a full moon, then you know how many days you have. Or if you miss the opportunity, how many more days you'll have to wait. Yeah, I like to slap an obvious deadline on a campaign or like events in game because I think like it's it's great for the players because they they know, all right, we have this much time. And, and so they're sort of budgeting their time and moving along and, and you know, not dawdling in one place too long or, or like going off on tangents. At the same time, for me as a GM, in terms of planning things like I now have a timeline that I have to stick to and I have to like fit things in there and it, it can actually make it easier to plan. So railroading has a bad rep. Uh, but there are some good uses of railroading, right? Yeah, you're going to get into the semantic issue, I think, right now, I guess, with some people who are probably yelling at the 
like their iPhone being oh, like yeah. so, somebody is already tweeting us by saying there's good uses of railroading. I cannot wait to hear about it. Right. Like, yeah, that's that tautology. Like, well, if it's if it's a positive use and it makes the game better, then it's by definition not railroading. Right. Like, uh, uh, great, right. whatever. Okay, it's the same behavior. Yeah, <laughs> like, right. Like, it, it can be really good to like move the story along when the players are like getting off track, right? Right. Or yeah, when when the players themselves often have lost the thread of the plot of the game, uh, it can just be helpful to push them back towards the plot. So they go, oh yeah, that's that thing that we were super interested in before we got distracted by real life and also being you know frenetic players. Right. Yeah, this happens a lot in sandbox games, right? Like after a while, like three sessions of like sort of going off in different directions and like pushing buttons and testing things out. Like I've definitely had, or I've been in games where I've been like, okay, now please railroad us because I don't know where we're supposed to go or. Right. I that, that tended to happen in Rogue Trader. <laughs> like, like you'd get someplace, you'd explore for like a couple sessions, and be like, "Oh, here's here's the thing about this this new planet that we're on." And then it's like, "Okay, but can I have a plot now?" Right. <laughs> like, like some tracks would be appreciated. I understand that we are on this new planet, and like we can do what we want, but what do we want to yeah, do? Exactly. <laughs> what seems like a thing we would want to do? I would like to go do that now. <laughs> So we've talked about this before, but you know, like one technique is the illusion of choice, which you have to be careful about because it really, it really still needs to seem like people have choices, right? But if the party's having trouble making up its mind about what to do, then just push them into making any sort of choice. And then either path is going to end up leading to the same place. Like I have one thing prepared. It doesn't really matter what, what you decide something will happen or, or, you know, Hey, it's fine. Pick a thing and like, we'll move forward. Don't worry about it too much. Yeah. And this, this works well when you have encounters and stuff prepared that you can just reskin right so the the challenge will be identical regardless of which choice you make but it will have different kind of flavor to it um depending on whether you go to the lava level or the ice level first be- because mega man the rpg yeah both of them will be an equal challenge uh, and like it is a real choice right like i put different treasure at the end right yeah <laughs> Um, this is also a really good thing to use near the end of um, a session uh, or if you're dealing with like real lifetime constraints where, you know, you, you can't be like, all right, we're going to dawdle around for the next eight, eight sessions because like, you know, maybe someone has to leave or vacation's coming or like the holidays or, or you know, summer or something like that. But like if you know you've got like an hour, hour and a half before like everybody needs to head home, illusion of choice is perfect. You know, let, let's just get straight to uh like the final boss battle that like everyone actually really came here for uh and like we skip the rest of the maze but it turns out that we just made really good decisions about how to get through the maze right on a campaign level uh, i also like to use sort of two different techniques one is bookends where like i know where we're beginning and i know where this thing is going to end up and like in between you don't need to railroad because like who really knows like I don't have any plans for what happens in between, you know, right. like you, you guys tell me what you're interested in and we'll get there. Yeah. I'll, I'll find a way to draw you to Chult one way or the other. Yeah, exactly. Like all signs eventually point to Chult. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or, or it's, it's Dark Sun. We will be killing Boris. Right. <laughs> like, I don't <laughs> yeah, know how know you're going to do this it. this is where this ends up. <laughs> right. <laughs> and the other one is, it's just, a, this is the same thing, but um, a little more complicated is like stops on the line of your railroad, which is. I know where we begin, I know where we end, and I know like four or five places that we're going to pass through in order to get there. For me, this is usually like, I want an like awesome battle like on whips, windswept plains right above a cliff. 
like I totally want to do that and I think you guys kind of want to do that too and like that's going to be somewhere I don't know where and I don't know when but we're doing that yeah so I think to kind of wrap up the topic of railroading right it's definitely a thing that we have both done um intentionally and accidentally uh, i think we've both used it to positive and negative effect um over time right so what's the what's the useful takeaway with with railroading i think one is like don't beat yourself up if you do it because everyone has done it before and like you will do it again right like i'm definitely going to run out of ideas and be like uh no that doesn't work um but if you want to avoid it like the best thing to do is not try not to do it the best thing is to avoid getting in the situations where you feel like you're going to need to do it anyway yeah so like present those multiple avenues for progress um present the multiple signposts like i always need to remind myself that just because i told the party one thing one time doesn't mean they're now going to be like oh yes that is the thing right like redundancy upon redundancy that that is the way to like get people to like do the thing that moves the story forward yeah, and I think, like, as a term, it's useful for describing behavior, but I don't think as a term it's useful for evaluating the outcome, right? Like, people act like railroading is a thing that needs to be avoided, but they never ask the question, like, well, did the group enjoy it, right? Like, did it make a good story for the group and all the players? Like, that's that's where I always get kind of drawn in is, like, make sure that you keep the end goal in mind, which is that everybody has fun and you tell a fun story, right? And if a little railroading gets you there, then fine. And if you can do it without any railroading, that's fine too. But like, I don't think it's a technique you want to abuse, but I don't think it's the end of the world either. And I don't think anybody is a worse GM for sometimes falling into a very easy pattern of behavior. Oh, totally. And like players sometimes just also want to do an easy thing for a little while. Like any a series of arena combats is a railroad, right? For the next three sessions, you're going to fight one battle, then you're going to fight another battle, and then you're going to fight another battle. And if you survive, you're free. Yeah. And like every one shot, right? Like railroad me. Like (laughs) you have a beginning, a a middle and an end. Like just make sure I hit those points. Like I'll make the choices when when the time comes. All right. Do you hear that, Ishan? That is the train coming with, uh, I believe, eight chuggas, right? Chugga chugga, chugga chugga, chugga chugga, chugga chugga, choo choo. I got bad news for you there, Ishan. Uh, uh-huh. You're tied to the tracks, so we're going <laughs> to oh. need to go to the Character Creation Forge and roll you up a new character. <laughs> Drats. <laughs> don't worry. You don't need a saving throw. It's going to happen. <laughs> I'm definitely dead. Before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sans Carne. That's Malice minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. Total Party Thrill is brought to you by Genuine Fantasy Press. They are giving away a free version of the new book, The Compendium of Forgotten Secrets, Awakening, at GenuineFantasyPress.com. Yeah, this book is for 5th edition D&D, and it includes all of the player content in this free version. That's 125 pages chock full of 34 new subclasses, 17 new warlock patrons and familiars, and over 175 new spells and invocations, along with 10 new races and dozens of campaign hooks. Isn't that like double the amount of uh, material that's already in 5th edition right now? Yeah, it's, it's yeah. basically a new edition of D&D. <laughs> <laughs> so... 
there are 190 pages of actual new content. Uh, it's designed to work with both classic and homebrew settings and gives you new ideas for your world and your game. It is full of beautiful, full-color artwork, and it's even available internationally in hardcover on Amazon. Does it have beautiful, full-color artwork of large-headed halflings with, like, strange perspective feet? It's Yeah, it's not that they're large-headed. It's that they're small-shouldered. <laughs> and small everything out but then the feet get big again it's very uh-huh. strange yeah it's like an hourglass figure but not in a good way <laughs> <laughs> it's like an invert yeah <laughs> so if you're looking to spice up your game with some new magic and uh new uh player options check out the compendium of forgotten secrets awakening from genuine fantasy press all right so this week in the character creation forge we're building the iron horse which of course is what people used to call railroads back in uh-huh. the old west so the uh, the thing about railroads, especially in the Old West, was that they didn't need to stop for food or to sleep or, you know, they didn't have training and all that sort of thing. They're just big machines that knocked things out of the way and got where you had to go. So like its namesake, the Iron Horse is a PC that never needs to sleep and is ready for a fight at all hours. And if it needs to, knocks most of the obstacles out of the way. Okay, so what's the build? It is Pact of the Tome, Celestial Warlock 4, Champion Fighter 4, Totem Barbarian 6, Thief Rogue 6. I actually really enjoy this one. Uh, so war- from Warlock, we get two second level spells. You'll get Eldritch Blast. Uh, you get Cure Wounds, which is nice because that's short rest healing. And two invocations. The important one here is Aspect of the Moon, which means you no longer need to sleep at all. And you are immune to sleep effects. And then for your second one, you can take Agonizing Blast if you want a strong Eldritch Blast. But Book of Ancient Secrets... For some rituals can be nice. Uh, also, Devil Sight, because you are definitely going to be the person who keeps watch every night, all night. Well, and in keeping with the theme, of course, Repelling Blast also makes sense. It definitely can work, yes. Uh, so from Fighter, we'll get ourselves a fighting style. That'll probably be great weapon fighting. Uh, you'll also get the usual second win action surge. Uh, and of course, as a champion, you'll get an expanded crit range. Uh, so you'll crit on a 19 or 20. So the nice thing about Second Wind is that combined with your Cure Wounds, on every short rest, you'll be able to drop two Cure Wounds and a Second Wind. Which, seeing as you don't sleep, uh, there's like, you'll have to talk with your GM whether you can take eight short rests rather than taking a full long rest. If you take a long rest, that's fine. But um, there's some talk about how like the, the drawbacks to not taking a long rest only kick in because it's a lack of sleep and you don't need sleep anymore. It's neither here nor there. It doesn't really matter. You'll be fine either way. From Barbarian, you get four rages a day, although you don't really need them. You get extra attack, danger sense. You get fast movement, just like a train. Uh, You get reckless attack, which lets you... um, It gives you advantage on your melee attacks uh, in exchange for granting advantage. Combined with your champion fighter levels, you're going to be dropping four dice... Uh, to attack with your extra attack uh, and all of those are going to crit on 19 to 20 so you'll take bear totem at level three to give yourself uh, some more durability and then at level six take elk totem so that you can fast travel with up to 10 companions which sounds a lot like a train yep just everybody get in line behind me and we're just gonna run across these hexes right (laughs) from rogue you get sneak attack so use a well, I mean, you can use a, a rapier, I guess, but I still like the idea of using like a, a big hunk and great axe. Uh, four expertises, two of which should be athletics and perception. 
Cunning action, you can climb at normal speed. Plus you get uncanny dodge, which is going to be extremely helpful um, when everyone is attacking you with advantage. Uh, it actually makes you come out a little bit ahead if you factor in the rages. Uh, and also, you can uncanny dodge every round all day, 24-7, even on Christmas. I don't know. Uncanny dodge doesn't sound too much like a train. <laughs> They're kind of stuck in one spot. <laughs> it's uh, resistance. You're uh, you're tough. You're right. It's uncanny, no, not dodging, taking it to the face. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for feats, you'll want charger, which you'll probably pick up as a variant human. This lets you dash and then make a, an attack uh, as a bonus action and deal an additional five damage, or you can shove someone up to 10 feet away. Now, you have cunning action, which means you can attack twice, still move, and then dash with your cunning action and make a bonus action attack at the end that is going to push someone up to 10 feet if you beat them on the athletics check, which is basically your cow catcher. Like, run at someone, knock them out of the way. Hey, I cleared the path. Everyone just follow me. So this character never needs a rest. Like I said, it's DM Fiat. Whether you like need to long rest, you'll be fine either way. So in terms of leveling order, uh, I think we want to start at Barbarian, then take our Warlock levels, um, get our Barbarian finished, then start into uh, probably two levels of Rogue to get Cunning Action, then our Fighter levels, and finish out Rogue. Yeah, you can do these pretty much any order, but like the important thing is to get those con saving throw uh, proficiency in case you are uh, forced to make a check at some point in order to stay awake, uh, or you know to not rest. Uh, Resist and then exhaustion. Aspect of the moon. So, Ishan, who is your iron horse? My iron horse uh, visited an oracle when she was young, and she got what most people considered would be really great news. The oracle told her, "You will die in your sleep." <laughs> and most people think, oh, that's great. I'll die peacefully in my sleep and it won't be in combat and it won't be because of terrible diseases. But no, she said, in my sleep? That's, oh God. Well, I guess I should just never sleep again. <laughs> and so she figured out a way to make that happen. And so now she knows that as long as she stays awake all the time, always prepared for danger, she will never die. This is like a, like a Final Destination type situation. Or like, or like Big Fish. she went to hell in a bottom carter (laughs) she was like you will die in your sleep all right shane what about your iron horse uh so my iron horse is actually a quarry um who has a strong connection to the dreaming dark and is terrified of this so my Iron Horse has willfully, uh, likewise, willfully decided to stop sleeping. The curse of the Dreaming Dark is simply too great. And if they can only connect through dreams, then uh, stop pretending that I want to have dreams. And I'll just go along uh, my path without sleep. If I never sleep, the Nightmare Monsters can never get me. Exactly. This is a great Freddy Krueger build. Yeah. <laughs> Not for Freddy, but fighting but Freddy. To avoid Freddy, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll pass. Thanks. I'm good. All right. Before we wrap up, let's take a moment to thank our Patreon supporters. Yeah. Your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. So what do we have planned for next week's episode? We're talking about playing with multiple GMs in your group. And in the Character Creation Forge, we're building the DMPC. Well, that's it for episode 192 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. 